A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and strip kings of their robes, to open doors before him, and the gates shall not be closed. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I surname you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I arm you, though you do not know me, so that all may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. The word of the Lord. from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. 
from Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the Church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The word of the Lord. be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. The Gospel of the Lord. Dear friends, there's just one announcement from what you will find in the bulletin that I would like to draw your particular attention to. As we well know, the time of shutdown meant that all kinds of things that should have happened did not happen when they were supposed to. 
And some of those things were basically unrecoverable, like Holy Week and Easter. But another that was recoverable was the tradition in parishes of celebrating First Holy Communion in the immediate Easter season in the springtime. Our grade twos, who had made their first confession just before we shut down, were never able to make their first communion. And the school year, of course, ended when they weren't even in school anymore. But now we are able to accomplish that, even though they're in grade three now. So we want you to know that our little ones are receiving their first Holy Communion in shifts. It's usually been our practice, of course, due to the size of Holy Rosary School that we're able to have one First Communion celebration, but we can't quite exactly have that many people in the church at one time, so we're having three ceremonies. We had one this afternoon, there will be another one tomorrow afternoon, and the last one will be next Sunday afternoon, all of those at 1.30 p.m. Please pray that our little ones who are receiving Holy Communion may really strive to ever closer come to Christ Jesus who loves them, and that they will know that his power is dwelling within them and leading them forward in their lives. Many of us will remember the old saying that there are two things you never talk about in polite company. One is religion and the other is politics. And um, I am presuming that that was always uh, an injunction against that kind of thing because, as we well know, religious perspectives and political perspectives are uh, very passionately held and tend to produce unseemly arguments when they take place in polite company. These days, of course, it seems like all we ever do is argue about religion and particularly about politics, and such things are uh, with all notions of politeness cast to the winds, especially where social media gets involved in the middle of it. But it still remains true that these are fields that are very explosive, and one can only imagine how explosive they become when they get put in the same boat together, in the same batch together, and all mixed in. The leaders of the people whom Jesus was constantly contending with seemed to revel in this. They just loved having political and religious things all mixed up together and having all kinds of arguments. And they were certainly not above making use of that whole possibility to see what they could do to trip Jesus up. So they haven't been really very happy with Jesus. For several weeks now, we have heard him telling parables, which were often quite pointedly directed at them, telling them that the kingdom of heaven was going to be taken away from them and that they would not be worthy of its fruits, even though they were the first ones who had been invited to the great feast, but had proven that they either were going to misuse it or were not even interested in it. This has not pleased them that Jesus has said these things, especially in front of the very riffraff whom they don't really want to have anything to do with. 
So they go and they plot to entrap Jesus in what he said. And they come forward with what they think is a marvelous concoction of the political and the religious in one delightful question to ask him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the Emperor Caesar or not? Their reasoning, of course, is that if he says, yes, it is, then he has to contend with all of those who are violently opposed to the Roman occupation. If he says that it is completely inappropriate to be paying taxes to the emperor and to Rome, then perhaps they will really have something they can use against him to get him to be arrested by Roman authorities, not to mention that there were certain factions within Judaism that were quite accommodating to the Roman occupation. In fact, the brutal irony is that one set of each has come to ask him this question. They really want him to start a fight between them and get himself trapped in the center of it. Jesus knows only too well that this is a trap. And you see the extraordinarily clever way in which he removes himself from the trap and reminds us of what the real values are. I was reflecting on this passage, which of course I remember from way back in my childhood, and I found there were two things that really occurred to me that really, really struck me. First of all, even the very reference to Caesar and to the rule and to the kingdom and to all this kind of thing, you know, it conjured up for me a whiplash backwards to Good Friday and a whiplash forwards to the solemnity of Christ the King, with which the church year will end only a few weeks from now. In fact, sometimes we hear the very same gospel passage on both of those days. You remember which one this was, when Jesus, on the very day of his execution, is hauled up before Pontius Pilate, who is very, very curious, very confused, and asks him whether he is in fact a king after all. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. I am the one who stands for the kingdom of truth. Those who listen to and attend to the truth, those who really hear my voice, those are the ones who are truly of mine. And even aside from Pilate's facetious or whatever it was response, truth, what is that? One thing we discover is that when Jesus talked this way, it got Pontius Pilate into a situation where he was increasingly very, very desperately wanting to have Jesus released. He saw the political and the religious entanglement closing in, not on Jesus, but on himself. And he wanted to be rid of this. But isn't it fascinating that Jesus says, 
my kingdom is not of this world. And he was to remind his disciples, as he reminds you and me, that though we are in the world, we don't have much choice but to be in the world, this is the only world in which our feet are flat on the ground right here and now, and which we have to maneuver ourselves with all the political, with all the economic, with everything that is real about a society and a world as it is. Still, we're not of the world. We have been made for something else. And we have been made for that kingdom of justice, love, and truth that is coming as we are always praying, thy kingdom come. This is what we have been made for. And so we want to follow Jesus in exactly the way that he exits from the trap that those people were trying to put him in. To recognize that this world has what it has and is what it is and that we must maneuver with it and use it but we want to use it rightly, and we certainly do not want to get so entangled in it or to depend so much upon it that we forget that we are made for higher and more glorious things. Render to God the things that are God's. Be aware that you are a child of the truth and of the kingdom of the Heavenly Father and called to live accordingly. And that, of course, raises the whole question of how a Christian believer tries to live their faith in the midst of this world ever increasingly hostile, both to religion, to truth, and even to common sense. How do we try to live our Christian life in this world? It is not easy, and no one is going to pretend that it is but governed by the Spirit of Christ that is within us, it is possible. And we must pray each day that we will say the right things, do the right things, and be part of the right things. For that is what Jesus is leading us to. Which in turn reminds me to turn myself to the second thing that I found myself thinking about. I have this picture in my mind of all these people, including Jesus, standing around, staring at this little coin, staring intently at this denarius. We've come upon the denarius here and there in these last few weeks. Remember the servant who was forgiven by his master of a monumental debt of tens of thousands of talents, which was an enormous a denomination of money, and then he goes out and he strangles a fellow servant who owes him a few hundred denarii, in other words, a pittance, hardly anything. And they say that the denarius was the actual amount that was the typical daily wage. Remember the vineyard owner paying the understood typical daily wage. So the denarius was a very common coin. It was obviously currency of the times and of the people. It also happened, of course, to be Roman. It was not Jewish. And as Jesus directs them to look and answer, well, who is this whose image is on the coin? It is that of Caesar. 
There is a reason, of course, why Caesar's image is on the coin. Because it is a symbol of the fact that the coin belongs to him, the economy belongs to him, the country belongs to him, the whole world belongs to him. So anything that the people are using is stamped, sealed with the image of the one who is in charge. And it causes me to ask, well, what about us? Supposing we thought of ourselves as a kind of coin, if you want, whose image is stamped and sealed upon us? It better not be a Caesar or some equivalent figure or some other kind of really important but not that important in the end thing. The image that is stamped and sealed upon the depth of our soul is that of Jesus Christ, saying that we belong to him, but also saying that he wants to dwell deep within us. He has actually chosen to stamp his very image upon us. The scriptures tell us that we are made in the image and likeness of God. That's in the very first chapter of the Bible. But even beyond that, we have been stamped, sealed with the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, the true Lord, the one who is, the one to whom we belong and in whose name we live and breathe and act. When were we stamped with that image? In our baptism. There is a very critical moment in the baptism ceremony. We've spoken about this in the past. It comes after the child has been baptized, when we make use of the sweet-smelling perfume that is called the holy oil of chrism. Chrism, of course, having its root in the very same root as the word Christ, is the oil of the anointed one. It is the oil of the one who is a sweet-smelling offering made to God our Father. And the one who is baptized is given that oil, very significantly on the crown of the head, exactly where a royal figure would wear their crown. We are given that to show that we participate in everything that it means for Jesus Christ to be who he is, to be the Christ, to be the priest, the prophet, the king. We participate in that because we have been made one with him in our baptism. And we are sealed, stamped with the great gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the foundation for the teaching that baptism is one of the sacraments which, if validly conferred, can only be validly conferred once. Because, and many of us may remember that we learned this, it imprints an indelible sign, an indelible seal on our souls. In other words, once you become Christ's in baptism, you remain Christ's. You're always his. He's always there. His image is stamped within you, and you become one of whom it is said, let us give to God the things that are God's. We become among those beautiful, 
things that become given to God. That's our destiny. That's what we're called to be. And though we live in this world, we are not of it, but rather are of that kingdom that brings much more to fulfillment than this world could ever, ever imagine or produce. And so, let us stay close to the heart of the one who has made us his own. And as we celebrate at the table of the Eucharist and receive the gift of Holy Communion that continues, if you will, to reinforce the implanting, the imprinting of that sacred seal within us, may we know that we are God's and act accordingly each day. He will be with us and he will strengthen us, especially when we walk in darkness and when we need his help most. We hope that our podcasts have been inspiring. And now, our pastor, Father Martin, offers a few closing words. Thank you for joining us. I offer a special greeting to members of our parish family unable, by sickness or other reason, to worship with us in person, and to anyone visiting our parish via these podcasts. Please share the readings and homilies with others by inviting them to our website where they can find them all day by day. To learn more about our parish community, please visit our website at holyrosaryburlington.com and be sure to share our site with family and friends. We do look forward to hearing from you, so please email us with your comments. And thank you for your prayers and support.